I'm John Marvin, your host of Insight, a podcast series dedicated to learning about the challenges and opportunities in the optical and optometric industry. Today's guest is Mr. Mark Ferrara, President and CEO of Jobson Optical Group. Hi, this is John Marvin, and welcome to another episode of Insight, the program where each episode we interview leaders in the optical and optometry industry and profession to learn how we can better improve our practices and be more successful in the process of delivering quality eye care. Today we have as our guest Mr. Mark Ferrara, who is the president and CEO of Jobson Optical Group. And uh, Mark, we're real glad to have you with us today. I appreciate you taking the time for this little chat. Thanks for inviting me, John. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, great. Well, for those that may not know um, too much about Jobson, other than kind of the, the basic publications that everyone sees all the time, why don't you give us a little bit of background about Jobson and the, the healthcare information part of the company and the optical division itself? Sure, happy to. Uh, Jobson is uh, a company that's been in business for over 50 years. Um, started out as a traditional business-to-business publisher. Uh, actually, our first publication was called Liquor Store Magazine. And we were in uh, in the what we now call the beverage alcohol business. Um, and as, a, as with a lot of business-to-business publishers, Jobson um, was in a number of different industries and got into the optical industry in 1974 with the launch of 2020 Magazine. That was the first Jobson property that covered the eyewear business. And over the years, uh, while, while Jobson was in uh, beverage alcohol, optical, uh, pharmacy, uh, telecommunications, cable marketing, in the 90s, the company saw healthcare as an increasingly important subject area for this country and decided to focus all of its products and services in the healthcare space. So it sold off all the non-healthcare properties, acquired some additional healthcare properties, launched some new healthcare properties, and became 100% focused around healthcare information by the late 90s, and essentially renamed itself to Jobson Medical Information at that time. Interesting. So what other areas other than optical and optometry uh, in healthcare does jobs in publishing our our other uh key area today from a publishing standpoint is in the pharmacy space okay we uh we produce a publication called u.s pharmacist which uh is a clinical type magazine that goes to the full market of pharmacists very much like review of optometry um in that it discusses new drugs treatment regimens uh, working with patients and how to apply those those regimens. We also are actually through that business and another online product we have, the largest provider of pharmacy education in the United States today. We process about 1.2 million 
pharmacy exams every year. And we are in a variety of other services in the pharmaceutical space uh, in terms of marketing information and um, consultancy type products for that industry. So overall, Jobson, about 40% of our business is in the ophthalmic area and about 60% in uh, pharma and medical education. That's fascinating. I, I had no idea that you were that vested as a company in uh, outside of optical, really. Uh, but you say that yeah. 2020 magazine, earlier you were saying 2020 was kind of the beginning of the, the optical Correct. division. How did that come about Correct. originally? Uh, essentially, that, that came about like a lot of these, uh, these things do. Uh, one of the gentlemen that worked for the company, uh, one of his relatives was in, in the uh, optometry space. And, you know, he, he was talking to him and he said, you know, the one thing we really need is a publication that tells us all about new products. And um, he, he discussed that with the owner of the company at the time, a gentleman by the name of Bob Amato, which is the family that owned the company. And 2020 was launched essentially to provide new product information to the marketplace. The unique aspects of 2020 were that it didn't just go to optometrists or just to opticians or just to laboratories, which at that point, all of the publications in the marketplace did. It went to all of the industry's O's and providers because the one central force that connected all of them was product. And as a result, 2020 established itself as a very unique formula in our industry. And as product became much more important, particularly on the designer frame fashion side, because before then you could get it in, you know, black or brown, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the publication really took off. And as product innovation expanded in our industry, 2020 was a perfect place to tell that story to the eye care practitioner community. Now, how did you get involved? Well, I, um, I started working as an editor in this marketplace in 1986. Uh, a good friend of mine from, from college was the publisher of a magazine called Optical Index uh, that was published by Fairchild Publications. Originally, Optical Index had been one of those earlier magazines around for a long time, but focused just on laboratories. And over time, it had shifted to more and more serve the, the eye care practitioner. And I began writing freelance for that publication in the summer of 1986. I was a teacher, and I was looking to make some extra income during the summer. And I had studied journalism and ended up writing for this friend of mine. And at the end of the summer, he offered me a job. And I said, I'd give it a shot. And I started working full-time writing about the optical business in September of 1986. In, in uh, February of 1989, I joined Jobson because they were launching into the European marketplace, a publication called 2020 Europe. We took the formula that had succeeded here in the U.S. and expanded internationally in Europe in 1989, and I was hired as the managing editor of that publication 
and ended up at Jobson that year. And we'll have my 30th anniversary next February 1st at Jobson. Well, congratulations. That's that's quite Thank a you. career with one organization. Now, did you have an optical background prior to Optical Index? Uh, no. Uh, didn't. Didn't um, didn't have any need for eye eye care wear. I was uh, I was at a 2015 vision. I didn't have any relatives in the optical business. Really, didn't know anything about it. So it was a, totally a blank slate for me. Uh, but I have to say, once I started working in the business, I found the, the folks in the industry incredibly friendly, helpful. And it to be in a very interesting space that was going through some uh, exciting and and revolutionary changes in the late '80s and early '90s. So I I warmed to it quickly. The um, the concept of what Jobson provides for this industry, I don't think anybody could even imagine uh, not having that kind of communication or that type of journal or inf- information available to them. But um, the optical vision alone has several different platforms, um, some of which I was real familiar with, many of which I wasn't. And so when we come back after this short break, I'd like to talk about more about the different publications within the optical division. We'll be right back with Mr. Mark Ferreira, president and CEO of Jobson Optical Group. Optometry Giving Sight is a global charity that funds the establishment of sustainable eye and vision care services so people in underserved communities can help themselves. It's more than just giving sight. It's about transforming lives. By donating, you'll provide funding to train and educate people to become practicing optometrists, as well as establish clinics and vision centers that provide local employment and access to affordable services. Optometry Giving Sight, transforming lives through the gift of vision. All right, we're back. And uh, before the break, I was pointing out the fact that there are a number of different publications and even platforms within the optical division. Um, some of which, when I read, I'm familiar with, of course, 2020, Vision Monday and, and Review, but others I wasn't as familiar with. Uh, tell us a little bit about these various different options that are available or offerings that are available from Jobson. Sure, John, happy to. Um, yeah, as I, as I mentioned earlier, 2020 was our first entree into the uh, business in 74, and Vision Monday was actually initially launched as the Vision Expo Daily, the first Vision Expo in September of 1986, and then became a regular publication in February of the following year. Review of Optometry, this publication we acquired back in 1999, and Review, as you mentioned, is pretty familiar to our our audience and has been around now over 100 years. Amazing. Yeah, it uh, started out uh, when optometrists were also jewelers Uh because they were experienced in working with uh, metal and shaping that metal into eyeglasses and a lot different world back then, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, we also, around that same time, uh, acquired Frames Data uh, and we published all of the Frames information and pricing 
that practitioners use each and every day in the marketplace. Um, and we have a number of other publications as well, review of ophthalmology, review of cornea and contact lenses. Um, and then, of course, I've expanded our digital assets pretty substantially over the past decade or so um, and, uh, and continue to really move in that direction. Some of those are review of optometric business um, and, of course, V-mail, which we send out on a daily basis now, six days a week, to keep the industry up to date on what's happening with our marketplace. Uh, and then there's Jobson Interactive. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So in the, uh, in the late 90s, um, a lot of folks were jumping into the, uh, the digital space and, and developing portals for the optical industry that would be online ordering environments for the ECP so they could go online and order either spectacle lenses from their laboratory or frames, uh, contact lenses from the companies that distribute those. And we launched a product called Sight Street in those days, uh, which was our first effort at kind of getting into the online business. Um, it was an exciting time, a challenging time, learned a lot about uh, the online space. Eventually, um, the, uh, there were quite a few of these portals, but many of them ended up either closing or merging. We merged our portal into another property called Vision Web which was actually started by two of the industry's largest suppliers, Essilor and Johnson & Johnson. And since uh, 2001, we've been an equity partner with those companies in building this online portal where um, millions and millions of transactions occur on, a, on a, a very regular basis. Out of that experience, though, we developed our interactive business where we became consultants to the industry around digital marketing, as well as a provider of services in the digital space. So we've built many websites for companies in the industry at this point. Um, many of the frame companies out there have used us to build their B2B websites and then ultimately asked us to develop e-commerce for those websites. And then we use frames data to keep those websites up to date for all the frame collections that, uh, that the frame companies need. We've done a lot of work for retailers, such as uh, Kaiser Permanente uh, in California and some others around the, around the country who needed uh, products and services to serve their, their patient base. Well, I know our organization, Texas State Optical, is currently in discussions with Jobson Interactive to see how we could um, take advantage of a lot of the resources you have and, and incorporate those into what we're doing online. So um, I found it as I learned more about it, I just found it very, very interesting. Now, uh, Vision right. Web has gone on to, I mean, now they have a point of sale and an EHR system as, as well as a whole outsourced billing service. So Vision Web yep. started, am I correct, as a online wholesale ordering portal, but now has evolved over time into a much more multifaceted type of service. And that's exactly right, John. Um, yeah, it was initially just focused uh, essentially on spectral lens ordering through the laboratory, but it really has developed into a um, full service 
software solutions provider for the ECP, mm-hmm. um, launched a revenue cycle management product a few years ago, and also a practice management software and EHR system that you mentioned called Uprise. It's amazing. A lot of changes. I had uh, yeah. mentioned earlier before we got on the episode that I uh, started in the eye care business in 1984 and then uh, moved to Houston in 89, where I really got involved in the, the more of the capacity that I'm involved with now. And I've, I have seen, as I know you have, just a, a tremendous amount of change. And of course, with change, it tends to, no one likes change, and it tends to create a lot of concern and anxiety. At this past uh, expo, I attended many of the conferences that were sponsored by Jobson, from your, I'm curious, from your point of view, um, this is probably a real unfair question, but what do you see as kind of the top three or four major challenges? And what I mean by challenges for the private practice optometry, um, for private practice optometry, what do you see as the big challenges? I think, uh, I think the, the challenges that the private practice optometrists face um, really focus in on a couple of areas. And it's a, it's a great question, John. One, it's, you know, how do I stay relevant to the ever-evolving patient-slash-customer who might need my products and services? And, you know, the, the role of uh, understanding the patient-slash-customer, the data and science that's involved in that is in- increasingly sophisticated and independent eye care practitioners need to find ways to really stay connected to their patient base and and in some sense anticipating what their patient base is going to be looking for in order to stay relevant to them. I think one of the other challenges that they face is making sure that they have incorporated all of the latest software and technology tools to make their practice run as efficiently as possible. Because without that efficiency, they're not going to be able to really compete as effectively as they might be able to with some of the the bigger players out there who have some big resources to do that. And I think that we're partly seeing um, how the, the landscape is changing as more and more private equity companies come into the marketplace and buy up independent practices in an effort to really consolidate and create greater efficiencies at those practices. Yeah, that was a big topic at Expo, I know. And uh, mm. uh, Dr. Mark Wright, as I know we both know, um, is, is yeah. extremely knowledgeable in this area. And he and I have spent a number of hours talking about it and you know, it's it's somewhat like two guys sitting around talking about the Division One NCAA football <laughs> rankings of things. <laughs> you know, everyone's got an opinion exactly. about things like that. So I think it's been um, something to do. How would you characterize these challenges that they face today different from uh, those that the profession has faced in the past? I think uh, I think the level of speed of change is, is increased significantly. So, you know, there's always been some change, right? And when um, 
when lens crafters first came on the scene, there was this concern that, you know, the, the lens crafters opened up down the street, you know, I was going to be out of business. Well, that, that didn't turn out to be true. And uh, when 1-800-CONTACTS got aggressive and started selling contacts online, there was a concern that the practitioner would lose his contact lens business. When refractive surgery started gaining some traction, there was concern no one would need eyeglasses and everyone would just uh, go get their eyes zapped and, and that would be the end of it. You know, there, there have been significant changes before. Uh, I, I think we're always going to see the business change and evolve. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, I think the speed has increased a lot. And I think the key is, you know, to try to take time to study, to assess, you know, what is my place and my position vis-a-vis these changes? And how do I continue to offer great value to my patients and slash customers so that I can stay relevant and 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 useful for, for those customers? Well, as with any industry, when great change occurs, there also is on the other side, great opportunity. And when we come back from this short break, we're going to ask about that and see what those opportunities are. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. All right, we're back with Mr. Mark Ferreira, President and CEO of Jobson's Optical Division. And we were talking about the significant change that's going on in the profession today, particularly as it affects private practice optometry. But as we know, change creates opportunities. And so I'm curious from your vantage point, because you've got a national view and you're involved in in all aspects of this profession, both the private practitioner, but the the wholesalers, as well as the large chains. What do you see as the biggest opportunities for these private practice practitioners? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're, you're right, John. I mean, it, you know, change and challenges do create opportunities. And it's a matter of assessing which ones you want to pursue. You know, one of our challenges of every business, I'm sure you see this in, in your own business, is um, not to be uh, over-distracted by the wealth of opportunities that exist and, and um, you know, uh, make sure you don't bounce around from one shiny object to the next without really focusing on maybe a couple of the key things that will make a difference for you. So, so first of all, it's assessing the opportunities and really picking the one or two that are going to make the most sense for you and focusing in on those and getting really good at them. I think, as we were mentioning earlier, you know, private equity money is an opportunity. Uh, some practices, you know, that may be ready to to sell. You know, there isn't a clear exit strategy for a practice other than that. Or maybe it's the retirement income they were looking for and they're going to get it in a different way. But there's a lot of private equity money out there right now. It's, it's chasing opportunities for investment. Clearly, the private equity companies have discovered the optical business in a big way. And for some folks, it's going to make a lot of sense. 
uh, you mentioned the events at, at Vision Ex- Expo. We put on an event about private equity there, and we had Dr. Mick Kling from Southern California, who is one of the sharpest practitioners out there, talk about the decision process and why he decided not to sell, even though he had the opportunity to cash out. You know, where he was in his practice, um, the, the fact that he really saw another good 10 years of developing his practice. And he thought, you know, at that point, maybe he would be ready. So you really need to study this. And if you, if you haven't, uh, you know, reviewed those options, we certainly have a lot of information about that at our online publication called Review of Optometric Business. Um, I think one of the other areas of, of opportunity is, you know, the increasing need for medical eye care that our country is going to see. The the aging of our population, the just natural con- visual conditions that practices are going to need to, to meet, and the fact that optometry is at the center of, of really helping patients with these issues is a huge opportunity. So focusing in on the medical aspect of your practice, making sure you're up to speed and have the latest equipment to meet those medical needs is a huge opportunity because ophthalmology, as you may know, is a profession that is very limited in its future expansion. The number of new ophthalmologists entering our marketplace every year are very, very small. Uh, the, the, the number of practicing ophthalmologists increases by you know, less than 50 a year. And with the increasing visual needs, that's just not going to be enough doctors to service uh, the needs of the American population. So optometry has a huge opportunity to to do that. And I think it's a, it's a way that really the optometry could be very vibrant, especially if you decide to remain independent uh, on a going forward basis. I think finally, there's a lot of new technology out there. Um, in terms of great products. Um, A lot of great spectacle lenses have been developed. Uh, There's a lot of great examination technology. And there's a lot of great communications technology that practices can take advantage of to really increase their presence with their current and potential patient bases. So choosing the right ones, making sure you integrate them into your practice, you train your staff and invest in your staff, presents a lot of opportunity for growth. You know, you remind me of what I read in Walter Isaac's biography of Steve Jobs, that one time he said the most important marketing word you can know is no, (laughs) to be able to limit your opportunities and uh, focus in on um, a key uh, few so that you can be really, really good at it. And we see that in every industry, but certainly we see it here where You've got a lot of practitioners who are eager to improve and and make a difference, and they tend to kind of go from one novelty idea to another novelty idea. And um, in the meantime, those that, like Dr. Kling and and others, in his success level, they've they've stayed focused, and uh, they've been very successful. So you can really see it. Um, Well, there's a... I would imagine that the role of industry information is more critical today than it's ever been. But um, 
I, I, I'm always kind of somewhat confused. I know a lot of young optometrists, and I see this trend, at least I'm observing it, that um, there's less of an interest in the profession as a whole and more of an interest in my practice, um, work-life balance. You hear that all the time. And um, one of the things that we try to do is encourage our younger doctors to actively engage and get involved in the industry, uh, attend the conferences, because unless you do that or you're regularly reading the, the periodicals that are put out by Jobson, you really are going to get caught flat-footed in many ways. Uh, what are the ways that you guys are trying to be all things to all people? Yeah, no, I think it's a great point, John. Um, and, and somewhat, I think it's, it's as you mentioned, reflective of a generational process that uh, most people go through when they enter an industry. You know, oftentimes in those early stages, it's much more about me than it is me being part of an industry. I think as folks uh, become more engaged and committed and involved in an industry, spend more years in it, some of their engagement with the industry overall, I think, just occurs as a natural process. Um, But beyond that, I think you raise a good point. We have to find ways to reach the practitioner community wherever he or she is and whenever he or she wants to be reached. You go back to the launch of 2020, you'd print a monthly magazine, mail out 50,000 copies once a month, and you were able to create a community in that way. Very difficult to do in this world today. Uh, Folks are very busy. Folks come to information in a variety of ways. Generationally, we see people coming to information in many, many different ways. So we have to be very flexible in how we try to reach the community. So while print is still important in this industry, we do study our readers' habits all the time. We see increasing engagement with digital properties to the point where with something like a a Vision Monday, you know, where 100% of our, our readership was print, you know, not that many years ago. Today, about half of the folks get all of their information from Vision Monday digitally. And the other half, you know, still engage with our our print products. So that's key. And we continue to advance and launch new new digital products. For example, I mentioned our online publication review of optometric business, which covers the practice management side of optometry, is 100% digital. And we're launching a new journal in February called Review of Myopia Management. Again, will be out there in the marketplace with a digital publication focusing on what we believe is a key opportunity for the practice of optometry over the next couple of decades. In addition, we have a lot of live event programs. You know, the sense of uh, attending a live event, engaging with content, meeting uh, colleagues face-to-face, all of that is an important part of the learning process. But we do hundreds of meetings a year through our organization. Many of them are dinner meetings on a local basis. Some of them are large events at places like Vision Expo. And then, of course, on an annual basis, we do the Vision Monday Summit in New York at the Time Center, where we talk about innovative trends that are impacting 
our industry today and in the in the days ahead. And then finally, we've started to really adjust the way we present education. Again, historically, a lot of it was simply in print. Today, almost all of the uh, CE courses that we offer um, through our publications are also replicated online. And all of the tests, almost all of the tests are actually taken online these days. At the same time, we're changing the way we present education. It used to be an hour of content, take an exam, and you're done. You get your credit. Today, we have micro-learning. You know, folks learn in lots of different ways, and, and with today's attention spans being impacted by the digital space, we need to adjust learning so that it's much more interactive, includes gamification techniques, and provides learning in shorter bits and bytes so that folks can absorb it in different ways. That's fascinating. That um, I, I can imagine you must feel like you're you're managing about. 15, 20 different products at one time with all these different platforms and publications. It, it does feel that way. And we have to have a variety of people with very different skill sets. And that's one of the ways our business has changed. But it keeps it interesting, keeps it fascinating. And I think to some degree, it's, it's uh, you know, for the practitioner community, what they have to continue to do is evaluate their teams. Do they have the teams with the right skill sets for the way uh, patients and consumers want to interact with their practice going forward. Take, for exa- example, social media. You know, it is an important way to communicate with your potential patient, patient base. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, practices do it. Do they do it very well? By their own admission, probably not. And, you know, getting someone in your practice who can help you with that is probably one of the ways to to look at investing and growing for the future. Agreed. Uh, just finally, I, I want to touch on this before we go, and that is last summer, it was announced that WebMD had purchased JHI. And um, how do you see that impacting the organization? I, I listened to you describe some of that at, uh, I believe it was the core meeting at, uh, at Expo. Uh, but if you would share with our listeners a little bit about what you see as the exciting aspects and of, of being now acquired by WebMD. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to, John. You know, WebMD has a bit of a mixed reputation in the medical community. I'm sure you're aware of this. You know, lots of patients come in and say, or print out something, hey, I read this on WebMD, you know, and so it's self-diagnosing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of doctors don't respond all that well to that. Um but WebMD is, is actually a company that is, is very medically focused. It's a strategic healthcare information company. And for Jobson, it was a terrific uh, uh, opportunity to get acquired by a company with that kind of focus. Um, beyond that, WebMD is also very, very actively involved in medical doctor communication through a company they own called Medscape. So communicating to the medical practitioners is not foreign to WebMD, although most folks only know WebMD as a consumer uh, medical site. In addition, WebMD's highly evolved digital knowledge, tools, and techniques are going to help us ultimately, I think, be much more sophisticated in our ability to use digital communications tools 
And then finally, WebMD has a trove of consumer data and information, particularly in the area of eye care, that is helping us learn more about your patients, you know, and, uh, and how, to, how to work with your patients. We've actually just conducted our first joint research study with WebMD using the WebMD audience of 70 million consumers that come to that website each and every month. So we see a lot more opportunity for us to gather information about the eye care and eyewear patient, take that information and share it with our industry so that we can be a lot smarter about how to approach that patient and consumer in the future. I was just fascinated. I I learned more in that 15 minutes about WebMD than I had known. I like everyone else, just considered it largely a consumer-oriented site. And uh, I think it, it's pretty exciting for Jobson that uh, that merged together, bringing that level of technology and so forth. So I'm looking forward to Absolutely. seeing that tr- um, manifest itself. Um, I really want to appreciate, uh, thank you and uh, let you know my appreciation for being on today for this episode. I've learned an awful lot. And I uh, want to remind people to... Review of Optometric Business is a tremendous resource, especially for the private practice practitioner when it comes to practice management. And if you've not um, been to that site, uh, make an effort to do so and make a point to do so because it'll really help um, bring into focus a lot of the basic issues that that private practitioners face. And then the other is I want to really encourage people to register now for the Leadership Summit that'll be held at uh, the Global Leadership Summit that'll be held at Vision Expo East. This will be my fifth, and I've uh, really enjoyed all that I have attended. And you guys do a tremendous job at that. I I just really, I got so excited. You know, a good friend of mine, Ed Buffington, was telling me about it, and I thought, how did I not know this? (laughs) And so I haven't (laughs) been able to go to, I think, what have you had, nine or ten, I think? Actually, uh, we've, we've done 12. So it's amazing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're tremendous, and I want to encourage people to to register and to attend that. Thank you, Mark, for being on with us, and we appreciate you being a part of our little program. Well, John, thank you for those very kind comments, and I really enjoyed the conversation, so I appreciate it uh, as well. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Insight. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you have suggestions for something you would like to see us address in future episodes, then please send us an email at producer at insight-podcast.com. That's producer at insight-podcast.com. Well, that's all for today's show. This is John Marvin, and we want to thank you for listening.